Hi, podcast listeners. I'm Mary Harris, WNYC's health editor. For six months, we focused on cancer and how many of us are touched by it. One in two men, one in three women will get this diagnosis. This piece was a special episode of WNYC's podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. There was definitely that question mark of like, I want to perform, but I don't think it's in the cards for me. And Maybe I'm just going to be one of those doctors that could have done something else, but you're doing something, you know, more noble. This is Death, Sex, and Money. I wish I knew how to quit you. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I don't want to die a virgin. And need to talk about more. Come on, let's go spend some money. I'm Anna Sale. Kim Jong got his big break playing an Asian mobster named Mr. Chow in The Hangover. Oh, you insult my mother cooking? You insult my mother cooking? The movie was an unexpected hit in 2009, earning more than $460 million worldwide. It made Kim Jong famous. He became known for his catchphrases and for his furious naked pounce out of the trunk of a car. Audiences were laughing at Mr. Chow, but his anger came from a very real place. There's like a 10-minute rant that I go on at the desert in Vegas, and I'm just yelling as Mr. Chow. It, it was an, almost an out-of-body experience because it was, hmm. it was like a subconscious just rage against the machine, if you will, you know, of, of cancer. Just like, what is going on? And, and this sucks. While he was filming this role that would launch his career... Ken's wife, Tran, was being treated for stage 3 breast cancer. Why, why did it happen to Tran? You know, why, why is it happening at this time? I don't get it. I, I don't... Just all sorts of frustration. After The Hangover, Ken went on to star in The Hangover 2 and 3 and six seasons of the TV show Community. But Ken and his wife met years earlier in the L.A. hospital where they both worked as doctors. She in family medicine, he in internal medicine. Ken grew up in North Carolina, the son of South Korean immigrants. When he went to college, he started out pre-med at Duke and considered switching over to the drama school, but then didn't. I mean, I always joke that I was Korean into staying pre-med, but... uh, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the truth, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, um, it, it was definitely dialogue with me and my parents, and my father in particular was. He, he was very great in saying, "Look, I." He would come to all my plays. He would come to all my performances, and he knew I was talented. He says, "I don't deny your talent. You're you're amazingly talented. I just don't know what the, what." As a, a short Korean American, I don't know <laughs> in American society. I don't. What are the chances of you making it? Were you planning for for a long career in medicine? Yeah, I was. I mean, I, I felt like th- this is this is where I was headed. I mean, I I started doing stand up comedy in during medical school just as a hobby, like once every three months at a like a bar, like where there was open mic nights, and it was kind of my. Actually, it got me through med school in many ways. I looking back. A couple of times I remember doing it before like a midterm, just before like an exam. You know, it would kind of like just relieve my stress a little bit. Huh. So in, in many ways it was like a stress reliever. And then residency is just, you know, that's just working constantly and not sleeping. And from what I understand, you would do still do improv at midnight on Saturday nights while you were a resident? Yeah. 
I mean, I, I had the best – my medical residency was my favorite time of my medical career, even though I was the busiest and working 90 to even 100 hours a week. It, it, the, the director of my residency um, was a really, really enlightened man who to this day you know, still inspires me. He, he just was um, – he was my – in basketball terms, this is, this is a basketball reference, but yeah. he, he was kind of like my Phil Jackson. He just kind of looked at life a little bit left of center a little bit, you know, yeah. <laughs> a little bit zen in some ways. And, and you know, I like interviewed for residency maybe at 10 different hospitals around the country, and he was the only guy that saw my resume and said, oh, that's really cool. You do stand up. And you, you included it on your resume. Yeah, I included my resume. Yeah. And I, I also wanted to see what how they responded. You know, some of them say, oh, that's that's cute. Or some of them are like, well, whatever. But he was the first person to really embrace that and the only person out of every, every place I interviewed. And he said something I'll never forget. It was like 20 years ago he told me this. I know people will tell you you can be a better doctor because of your comedy background. I'll also make the the observation that you can actually be a better comedian because of your medical background. How? I think just handling the stress of it all. Like having the endurance to be on call for like, I don't know, uh, like 24, 36 hours. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, uh, when I'm working on community on a 17-hour day, it's a lot like being on call. Huh. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, having that. But 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 really, there is uh, something to be said about having a stamina when you're doing very long film shoots, you know, on anything. I've always operated on, under the kind of the philosophy of, well, you know, if I can handle med school and residency, I can handle this. <laughs> I think it it helps on maybe on a more of a psychological end, I suppose, you know? I was thinking about that because whether you're on stage doing stand-up or on screen, your confidence as a performer is so clear. You're huge. Like, you just fill up the space. And how much of that confidence do you think comes from, you know, doctors have a reputation for having healthy egos and being confident. Thank you. Okay, I'm, I'm, no, it's a, <laughs> I agree. No, um, <laughs> not a question, but a very accurate praise and observation. No, I, I think, um, I, you know, I, there is something to be said about kind of going through school and college and med school and surviving it and having – that is a badge of honor, you know, and 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 also as a physician or being on call, there is a kind of that in, intensity and, and that strength and that intensity that I think that comes out, you know. I think it's more of a visceral attitude that I've taken from my life. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. I think there is a, there is a sense of that go for it attitude. Absolutely. You moved out to California after your residency training, and you met your wife, Tran Ho, at the hospital while you were working together. What did you first notice about her? I remember we'd pass by each other in the hospital occasionally when we were rounding. It was very pretty and just very together. She just seemed very together. And I remember we had a... um, a, a doctor's night out, like just young doctors, like like I guess doctors in their late twenties, early thirties. We all got together for like a happy hour at a bar, and uh, we, we both at the same time uh, we call ourselves the other couple of 
when Harry met Sally, we're like the Carrie Fisher, <laughs> Bruno Kirby couple. We had both uh, we had both broken up with our respective mates at that time, and I think we we're both kind of committed, like we both bonding <laughs> over that. And yeah. then it was almost in that scene where Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby, like they're not looking to hook up, you know, <laughs> like they're like they're they're if anything they want to get out of there. But then they they both realize, oh, they have so much in common, and that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what happened to us. We we both realized, oh my god, this is amazing, and. Uh, and she made me laugh, and she was really the first person I ever met that just made me laugh so hard. I mean, she's just so funny, and we were really bonded by our love of comedy. And um, you don't really meet a lot of people in medicine, <laughs> much less date them who, who who like that. I remember one night we went out to we went out to sushi, and it just ended up being a nice little date night. Except you know. Being the whore that I am, just uh, just went up and did stand up comedy. Hey, watch people, <laughs> yeah, watch me yuck yuck. You know, I don't know. If that's not a great date, but. <laughs> and then you're dating. As you're dating, you incorporate her into your act. Yeah, with her permission. She's Vietnamese doctor, last name Ho. I'm not fucking with you, huh? <laughs> doctor Ho. I'm a comic. This is pure joy. Get in the car, Ho. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Make me some rice, Ho. You know, you complete me, ho. You know. I mean, I ran every joke by her, and it just shows what thick skin she had. You know, she's all she's she she's like a comedian's dream for a wife or a girlfriend because she's just so secure in herself. She didn't. I mean, her last name's Ho, and I'm doing like the worst hackiest Ho jokes. You know, <laughs> and uh, when we, even when we got married, she was like, I I knew I married a. I knew I married an actor, a comedic actor at heart, not a doctor. Um, and, and, and the whole while, like the, the the pipe dream was to was to be an actor, not even to do stand up. I mean, I, I still I missed acting, I missed performing on that level. Um, but if it never happened, that was fine. Um, like during lunch breaks, you know, I would. I would go on tape for Will and Grace, you know, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. While you're working as a physician. Yeah, it was just like it was just it was almost like buying a lotto ticket, you know, and that's really what it was. But and I didn't mind. It, I never and I never booked anything, by the way. I never got any parts, and I didn't care because I would brag to my friends, "Hey, guess who did a pre-read for Two and a Half Men, yo?" You know, you know. So it was still like it was really, really, yeah, totally. Wow, he's so badass. He can do it all. I mean, he takes care of the sick. And he knows some of the production assistants on Two and a Half Men. A few years after Ken and Tran got married, Ken took the leap. He quit his day job to pursue acting full-time. He and Tran had twin daughters, Alexa and Zoe. They were five months old and still breastfeeding when Tran found a lump. It's so common to get a plug duck or... uh, mastitis, you know, those are very common. You know, as physicians, we, we would see those all the time and reassure the patient, you know, they're, they're just plugged up ducks and, you know, that happens, you'll be fine. And this one didn't go away and it just got bigger. And I remember the whole time, I wasn't, we, neither of us were thinking of cancer and the differential of that diagnosis. We were just like, oh man, it's, it's probably infected. It's like, uh, and and then we we actually tried some antibiotics, and nothing was working. It was just getting bigger and more red. And that, to me, I thought was an infection. W- was she seeing another physician, or were you just kind of both looking at it and diagnosing it 
being two physicians yourselves? Both. I mean, we, we, we both being both self-diagnosis and then we ended up seeing a physician and she did a biopsy and it was negative for cancer, yet it kept getting bigger. And I'm like, great, this infection is getting worse. Maybe it's a staph infection. And, you know, I just was worried that it was an abscess. I remember thinking it's getting more red, more painful, and it's just hot to the touch. And we went back to the surgeon and she uh, did basically an excisional biopsy of the whole, of the whole mass. And she said, well, it, it, it didn't look like an infection. And then literally a couple of days later, it came back as like stage three triple negative breast cancer, which is one of the top three most aggressive breast cancers there is. So it was, oh, it was just, oh, it was the worst day of my life. It was just how the F could this happen? Did you have the conversation, what, what, if, what if you die from this cancer? Um, you know, within 24 hours of the diagnosis, she had told me that if, uh, uh, look, the fact that we have Alexa and Zoe and we have a beautiful family together, uh, I regret nothing, no matter mm-hmm. what happens. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, she was that strong. And stronger than I would have been in that situation. So, yeah. uh, which made me even more angry that why someone so strong and so well loved by all her friends and family and so respected and why is this bad things happening to good people and like her? So I, I did everything in my power to actually think like a doctor. And to think clinically, you, you kind of had to just to survive. He was thinking like a doctor, but acting like a comedian. Coming up, Ken on his role in The Hangover, which he decided to take even though Tran was going through chemo. It was actually Tran that was like, yeah, you, you got to do it because you're you, you, you're kind of burning out right now. We've been listening to the stories you're sending in about siblings, about how your relationships have changed and what you're learning from each other as you get older. I am the oldest of six children, five girls and one boy. My siblings and I are barely speaking. What changed this? In my opinion, it was marriages. We came out to each other in college. Now my brother is my best friend and stronger than me in so many ways. I have a twin sister who's a quadriplegic, and every time I reach sort of another milestone in my adult life, it feels like something that she can't ever get to. We're going to feature some of these sibling stories in an upcoming episode, but we want to hear from more of you. What defines your sibling relationship? What's changed between you and your siblings as you've aged? And for all you only children out there, we want to hear from you too. How do you feel not having siblings as an adult? Record a voice memo using your smartphone and email it to us at deathsexmoney@wnyc.org, or you can just write out your story. Either way, we want to hear from you. Again, the email's deathsexmoney@wnyc.org. On the next episode, Mark and Julia Lukech. They got married right out of college, and then three years into their marriage, Julia had a psychotic break. 
when it came to the medicine, I didn't feel connected to him because he hadn't experienced it. It's not to say that I didn't trust her, but I guess I kind of didn't trust her. And so when she's saying, you don't know how these pills make me feel, it was really easy for me to say, you're right, I don't, but it's worth it because you're not thinking you're the devil anymore and you're not actively trying to throw yourself out of a moving car. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Kim Jong won an MTV Movie Award for his role in The Hangover. The category, being MTV, was Best WTF Moment. And more importantly than this, I want to take the opportunity to thank my wife, Tran. She taught me that life is short, and then don't be afraid to take chances. And I just want to tell you that Tran is cancer-free for two years. I love you, and toodaloo, mother There's a lot in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it was, it was, uh, it was during that time that uh, we were two year, the MTV Movie Awards coincided with kind of our two year anniversary of being cancer free. And, um, and she had responded to all the treatment and, and statistically, there's only a 23% chance of that. And um, so literally like a 23% chance of being cured. And um, and it just literally happened like I think that weekend. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then by that time, The Hangover had been out in theaters and, and it had just changed my – career you know just changed my life you know at that point professionally yeah it was just a very uh, it, it was it was all happiness you know it was all happy and 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 and, and, and privately even more happy because we knew we had we had miraculously survived hmm. did you have when you read read the script and thought about the role did you have any hesitancy because of the way it was Pretty much, an, it's an Asian caricature. The character, Mr. Chow. Yeah, it was definitely. If you looked at my past work, it wasn't like I had didn't have an accent and knocked up or role models or in a lot of stuff I did. And and I was very careful to make it a, a meta joke. And you're you're making fun of the characters. I always envisioned Mr. Chow as a mirage. That remember it was a hangover, and it's a day after. You know, they've been roofied. I guess so. And it's like. It's, everything's really foggy and gray and could have been an MIT professor for all I know, you know, for all I care, but it just, you know, it's just, there's the haze of, Those are the you hazy know, memories of three white dudes. It's like Mr. Chow. I thought these were very uh, deliberately meta stereotypes where you're, and I was always careful um, in anything I do, not just the hangover when you're doing a role with an accent to kind of, you're making fun of that stereotype. And I did Vietnamese bits that my character's not Vietnamese, but I did just to make Tran laugh. There, there's in the movie I say "gotcha," and in Vietnamese that means chicken die. And I just I did that just to make. I was hoping that would make in the movie, so when Tran saw it, it would be like, "What the hell did that go?" <laughs> and then "gamang" means thank you in Vietnamese. But the way I played it was, "Come on," you know, it was almost like an accent, like "come on." Or there's a lot of Vietnamese in that movie that I that I I, I deliberately sprinkled in there and, to make your um, wife laugh. 
Yeah, I literally was because at that time I didn't know the hangover would become the hangover, and it was it's the most obscene love letter to a spouse one could ever have, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it really is. Seven years on, does it feel like cancer is still a part of your marriage? Every time she sees the oncologist, it's still a part. It's still, you're still, you're a, survi- you're a cancer survivor. And... It's become, you know, it's become what my mentor in residency had always said that, you know, this blending of comedy and medicine is, I mean, I feel like this is that, you know, (laughs) personally, you know, what my wife has been through personally and what I've gone through professionally, it's just, it's, it's merged, you know, those lanes have converged. Yeah. And um, I feel like that's kind of more than the the t- t- TV and film that I do. I think, you know, I feel like in many ways this is some sort of uh, at least higher higher purpose for me to live for. So it's become my church in many ways. Is your physician's license current? It's still active. I mean, I'm not practicing. I mean, but technically, I'm still active. Why do you keep it active? I think it's just more of a. It's it's. I think it's more to keep me grounded, is to kind of remind me of who I am and where I came from. You know, I I think it's it's uh, it's a hard one skill <laughs> at the you know at the very least. It's a very hard one skill that uh, I'm I'm extremely proud you know, to have gotten that degree. And, and although I may never use it, you know, it's something that it's, it's important to me. It, and it, it doesn't matter if I have the license or not at the end of the day. I do, but I think it's, it's just more of a, at this point, it's more of a symbolic reminder for me, you know, of, of, of who I am. So, you know, I just want to keep my options open. There might be an urgent care shift I can pick up, you know, so. <laughs> you know, you just never know. I mean, look, if uh, <laughs> any walk-in cl- clinics, uh, clinic heads listening to this interview right now, hey, I'm available for shifts. Actor and doctor Ken Jung. His new comedy TV pilot, Dr. Ken, was recently picked up by ABC. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botin, James Ramsey, Caitlin Pierce, Zachary Mack, and Joe Plord. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. Don't forget to send in your emails and voice memos about your adult siblings or about not having siblings. The email is deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. This episode of Death, Sex, and Money is part of WNYC's Living Cancer series, a radio companion to Ken Burns Presents Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies. Support for the series is provided by the Susan and Peter Solomon Family Foundation. Ken's wife, Tran, is still in remission today. She continues to work at Kaiser Permanente, where she and Ken met. She hasn't really transitioned to movies yet. I don't know. I mean, I hope. I don't think she's even done a web series. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.